If you're ready for the word, clap once. Ooh, they ready. Let's do it. So um, I want to go to Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, and I'm coming from the New Living Translation. We're going to read some words today. Can I get some amens in the building? We're going to read the Bible, man. No opinion. We're going to talk about what God said. Is that cool? I hope it's good with you online uh, because I think that, well, I know that anytime that I've ever been astray, anytime that I never had the words for myself, because like how many of you guys know that your hit song doesn't hit all the time? You know what I'm talking about? Like on Spotify at the end of the year, it says you played these six songs the most, but sometimes those songs were actually riding on the wings of the words that God said. You know what I'm saying? I don't lean on a song to say what the Bible says because it's, it's the best thing ever. Uh, we're going to be coming from Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, because I think that this is going to be the foundation of where we go. You ready? Here it goes. It says, then the Lord said to me, what? Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a, underline the word runner, can carry the correct message to others. Verse number three says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. Somebody needs to shout right there. Like whatever God told me in January, it's going to be fulfilled because that's what the word said. So many times I think that when we are teaching people how to have faith in Christ, we teach them like incorrectly. How many of you know that your faith will never be perfect? It says that God is the perfecter of your faith. So if I don't have the faith for myself, I can read Habakkuk 2 and 2 and say, you know what? This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. Then it says, if it seems slow in coming, do what? Wait patiently for what? It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. But I want to go back to verse number two, and this is the setup for my sermon today. Um, It says, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner so that a runner can carry the correct message. Now, there's, there's something really interesting about, um, like, sports. How many of you guys like, love sports? I like sports, but I get bored with watching them. So I'm, like, the worst person to take to a Husker game because I'm going to take out my phone and, like, start writing a sermon in the middle because I'm just, eh, wake me up in the fourth quarter. Um, but uh, I, I'm not, I mean, I could care less who wins the Super Bowl, and there was a playoff game last night, and um, a lot of people hate the Packers, I've learned. Like, hate the Packers. And I'm like, have, they, have the Packers done anything for you? Like when they won the bowl, did you get a ring? But I digress. But uh, so people were really frustrated because like one of the guys was running with the ball. I don't know his name, but he was running with the ball and he dropped the ball. What's that called? It's called a fumble. And um, the Holy Spirit began to like really begin speaking to me of like what happens when you're the second week of the fast and the word that God gave you, the vision, you fumble it. Like, like what happens when I was like y'all were ready on January 10th. Some of y'all were in your kitchen going, like, I don't need that. I don't need that. Throw away the sugar. Throw away the yeast. And now we're going to the second week. You're like, we ain't going to have no meat this week, right? Like, so, so what happens when we, what happens when the vision is dropped? Because we talked this really great sermon series, right? Like, and we, we, we were super excited in the beginning of the year, January. But look at your neighbor and say, February's coming. <laughs> so is March. Some of us decided, I ain't, I'm going to the gym every day. And you bought the membership and your, your fingerprint hasn't even touched the door. So we always talk about gaining vision, but how do we begin to talk about what do you do if the vision has been dropped? So today I want to talk to you about crippled vision. Crippled vision. Now, before I go into the sermon, I just want to make sure that you understand my job and my want is to be sensitive to ears that are sensitive. 
right? So many times we can use illustrations and not know what we're talking about, but I'm praying that through the word of God and through illustration, that even you that are watching, that you will hear my heart and that you'll hear what God has for you. Amen? So here we go. I have an intro story. So um, growing up in, in, in our house, um, we, we were really cut our teeth on this thing of advocacy. You know what ad- advocacy is? So in our DNA, and it came from our parents and way before us, we just can't stand injustice. Like if everything burns down, I'm going to be preaching. It may not be here, but it might be in like the crack house for someone. Okay, that rubbed them the wrong way, right? Okay. I might not be preaching in a pulpit, but it might be out front of like an abortion clinic. Not for or against, but just making sure that God is represented in the mess. It might not necessarily be for a particular party, but we need somebody at Capitol Hill that's like, I'm not here for nothing. I'm just making sure that God has representation wherever anything happens, right? So there's this thing called advocacy where you're neither for or against, but you're for. I don't, I'm not for you or against you. I'm not for you or against you, but I'm for like my connection is vertical because if it's horizontal, we can only see up to the tallest person. And on earth, whoever's taller, they get everything because like they're bigger than everybody. So I'm looking up. Somebody say, I'm looking up. So in every time that we ever went to a school, every time we were ever in a club, anytime that I was a part of anything, and I'm not trying to say that we're great people, like, like, please hear my heart, but every, we are, we are, I'm right. But I don't want to like, what is on our family is on you. It's your thing. Our thing is advocacy. So anywhere and everywhere, we would walk into places and not want to lead. Pastor would walk into places where they had somebody else on the bulletin. Y'all remember bulletins? I'm dating ourselves. Remember that piece of paper that had everything on it? And, if you did, and, and for our elderly here and for the people that we honor, I know some of them be eyeballing me. You took away my bulletin. I'm like, ma'am, I'm sorry. They have more bulletin sheets in their Bible than Bible verses. <laughs> but anyway, so we would get into like these mentoring programs. And from the time of, of, of middle school to the time that I graduated, every single position that God allowed for me to take always spoke to advocacy. Sometimes the, the reason why you can't get out of an industry is because that's where God has planted you. Oh, my God. So we can fight the hand of God in areas of our life that we think he is damning us to. And when I say that, it, it's like you, he's like literally like put shackles and chains like, God, I'm stuck here. But maybe what God has done is he has shackled and chained you to those people that can't advocate for themselves. But I digress. So we would, we would become chained to these people. Like Callie saw this guy bullying this kid in her school and like she just like socked dude in the mouth. And then when the principal asked, why'd you do it? She looked at the principal like you lost your mind. Why didn't I? I advocate for those that can't. So in high school, I was a part of this group, and it was a mentoring group, and uh, we would mentor, as seniors, we would mentor the freshmen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So one year, um, my group didn't have a room. So they placed us in the accessibility room. So accessibility is basically, it's, it's, I think it's a ministry, but it's an education opportunity for students that other people think are disabled to learn. You hear what I said? What other people think are disabled. So I'm in this room and I'm trying to teach the leadership uh, groups. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to teach these leadership skills to the freshman students. But at the same, same time, I'm teaching the freshman students, all these accessibility students around us are like working on walking and motor skills and like all that other stuff, right? So um, one day when I was playing football, um, I got hurt and I, I twisted my ankle, right? So I walk in to that class in crutches and there was this kid named Aaron. Aaron had cerebral palsy. Sweetest kid ever. So 
So I walk in, and me and Aaron, we would talk a little bit, and then I would, uh, every morning I would talk with him for like, two, like five to ten minutes, and then I would go and teach my class. And I walked in on crutches, and Aaron started laughing at me. And I was like, Aaron, why are you laughing at me? He says, because you don't even know how to use those right. Aaron is crippled. And I'm walking on crutches like, what am I doing? And he's like, what are you doing? Because he had crutches that were made for him. So then he got to this point, and, and we were talking, and he said, you, you, you call those an inconvenience, but this is how I walk. He said, what you call crippled, Josh, is necessary for me. And he said this, and this is so funny. He says, my legs might not work how they want them to, but my mind is always on time. So I'm a senior in high school, and I was just like, man, I don't need these. I'll just figure it out. Because looking at him, he took away being crippled in my mind. So there's this guy in the Bible who was crippled, but it wasn't his fault. He was crippled because somebody dropped him. So let's talk about that. So what happens when you are given a vision? God told you you were going to be healed and you're not. Sometimes it's not the sickness that cripples you, but it's how you think in your mind. I think what Aaron really wanted me to understand was that if you put your faith in these, then that's where your faith is. But what they began teaching those students in that group called accessibility, can you say accessibility? They were never teaching them how to walk. They were teaching them how to make their legs do what they've always been doing in their minds. So this is what Aaron, I think, was trying to get to me. I think what Aaron was trying to get to me is that you try to walk, but in my head, I'm always walking. So for a lot of us, we'll see people spiritually that are walking on crutches that have a brace on their knee. And then what will happen is you'll ask, like, who dropped you? Look at your neighbor and say, who dropped you? What dropped you? So I got a couple of questions for you. You ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Let's talk about being crippled. The question is, what do you do when your vision is crippled? Second question I have for you is, what do you do when you think your vision is crippled? Because I believe in this season, what we think can't walk, God actually wants to surprise us with mobility. Here we go. Crippled is defined as being severely damaged or, or malfunctioning, being unable to walk or move normally. Somebody say normally. Some things that aren't moving aren't actually crippled. It just doesn't move how you see fit. So that means that in your life, if it's moving as slow as molasses, it's not broken. It's just moving as slow as molasses. But we can forget to be patient with things that God said in Habakkuk 2 and 2 that it's actually going to happen. Somebody say it's actually going to happen. So here we go. Let's do it. Let's go to Sam, 2 Samuel 4 and 4. Now, before we jump into the story, how many of you guys know the story of David? Right? We love David. We talk about how David becomes king, but we don't talk about like, like literally how David becomes king. David becomes king because Saul, remember the man that he was like, like people... There's like a, an ought in between them. Like they're, they're, they're fighting once against one another. Like David's told, I'm going to be king, but there's somebody else in his place. Saul goes to war with his son, Jonathan, and they do what? They die. Jonathan is David's best friend. In the word, it says that David and Jonathan were best friends. So what would happen was that every time that Saul would try to kill David, Jonathan would step in and be like, hey, bro, don't come to dinner tonight. The spaghetti's poison." He would say, hey, man, don't go to bed in that bed because he put a rattlesnake in that thing. Like, go sleep outside in the hay. 
Because sometimes when things aren't working out, if you look close enough, there's always somebody advocating for you. But what will happen in the kingdom, what will happen in our, I know it's good. What will happen in our Christianity is that we'll be, we are not, sometimes we can, and I'll even talk about myself. Sometimes I can't be mature enough to, like, I'll reach over people that are in my close proximity thinking that if I can get that person that has a thousand more followers than I do or a million more followers than I do or who seems like they can pray better than I do, that if I can get this relationship, it's important. But then you're reaching over people that have been undergirding and supporting you your entire life. So David in his life never forgot who was advocating for him. Even when he became king, even when he took over everything, he never forgot that when I was crippled, somebody helped me. When I was in the field and I was jacked up in my head, God always sent me somebody that saw me correctly. Some of you, what you need for your vision isn't the $100,000. It's not the house. It's for us to open up our eyes and see. When I wasn't able to walk by myself, my dad was there next to me. My mother was there next to me. My AA person was there next to me. Because you can, you can love God and be addicted to alcohol. Can we talk? You can love Christ. Be smoking marijuana and have somebody advocating for you as you're smoking. Like, you know what? This is not who you are. As David was taking all of these steps and falling and failing, because we talk about how beautiful David is. But in this worship month, I'm going to tell you why God could call David his favorite, even though he was, he, he was out here. Because God doesn't really care about the action. He cares about the posture of your heart. So in 2 Samuel 4 and 4, Saul and Jonathan pass away. And if you know anything, how many of you guys like watch Game of Thrones or you watch like movies with like kings and all that other stuff and knights? Like who's supposed to be next if the father dies? The son. But the son passed away. So after that son, who's supposed to be next? It's the next son. And then it proceeds and then it proceeds and then it proceeds and then it proceeds. Even if the next heir is in Lodabar. You'll get it in a second. So when it comes to this conversation... David begins to be, believe what God told him in the pasture, but he starts moving in this direction of, if I'm going to be king, I need to make sure that any other person that could rightfully take the throne, that I have blessed them so they won't want to take it when I'm there. So David starts blessing all the members of Saul's family. The man that was trying to kill him has now died in war. That's a perfect opportunity for David to go in there, kill everybody, and take the throne. But David knew something. He said, God, when he told me I was going to be king, I wasn't going to have to use a whole bunch of energy to do it. Some of us are working too hard for stuff that God told us we weren't going to have to work for. So David starts blessing all of Saul's people. Because the, worst, the best thing that you can do for your enemy is bless them. Because it confuses them. The best thing that Aaron could do to me was make me feel bad for myself and not for him. He says, you're the one that's crippled on those crutches. I'm faster than you in this wheelchair than you are walking. It's like, wait a minute. Look at your neighbor. Say, flip the script. So in 2 Samuel 4 and 4, David is finally comes to his recollection that there's somebody else in Saul's house who, if he doesn't bless him, he can't be king. There are some people that are looking for you. They're looking to bless you so they can move on with their life. Like, if I don't bless you, I can't get next. So you got to take the car. You gotta take the house. You gotta take this promotion. Like, there are people, in, like, that's the reason why your boss loves you and you don't understand it. Even if they hate you, I don't know why, but I gotta give you this promotion. Because sometimes what God will do is He will make your enemies become your footstool. So here we go. Second Samuel, 
They've been in the building. They haven't been in the building. So I'm going to talk to you online because y'all going crazy. So we're, we're going to warm up in the room. Here we go. Second Samuel 4 and 4. So listen to this. Saul's son had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. Isn't it interesting that it says crippled and not lame? Because to be lame, if we go back to the definition, to be lame means that you do not have the ability to walk. We've been looking at this scripture wrong for a while. Let me take that back. I was looking at this scripture wrong for a while. I used to think that Mephibosheth didn't have the ability to live. He didn't have the ability to move, but he was crippled, not lame. Some of you, the plan that God has given you, it's not lame. It's just, it's just, it just needs some help. Oh my God. Okay. So he was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she did what? Picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she did what? She dropped him and he became crippled. My point number one is that the drop isn't always intentional. The family that you were born to was on purpose because God knew what he was going to do. But what happened when you were three in the closet wasn't that drop, like that wasn't intended. Can we get free? Like deliverance is cool, but let's be delivered and set free, right? Okay, so you went over to homeboy's house to play video games. That was great. That was in the perfect manifestation of God that you were going to have a friend. But what he showed you on the computer screen at 11, young man, that was not intentional. You got married. Everything worked out. Everybody was so happy. Isn't it interesting that you never see people cry at weddings? Like, they're never miserable cry. It's always happy cry. Even if they're miserable, like, you never see people cry. So, like, that means that the foundation can be jacked up. But if you get married, that means that now you have some resources that God can give to you to make that marriage work. Everything was perfect. Everything was good. And then it's just like, what happened? Look at your neighbor and say, the drop is not intentional. What do you do when the vision you are given looks abnormal? Do you throw it away? Do you abandon it? Do you try to hide it? Do you try and disown it? When, the drop is, when we understand that the drop is not intentional, we won't blame people for the stuff that happened in our lives. Because then what we can begin to do is look at our lives as broken and blame other people, but we never even try to stand up and walk. Think about it this way. It says that Mephibosheth was crippled. But in order for Mephibosheth to know that he was crippled, he had to have tried to walk at some point in time. And do we ever talk about the nurse? It doesn't say that she dropped him on purpose. You ever had that conversation? Like your parents are doing the best that they can. The teacher is doing the best that they can. Yes, pastor, she was running. She was doing the right thing. She saved his life, but he wasn't able to walk. So what if we were to start to look at the injuries in our lives? Stop looking at the injuries like, you know what? She dropped me, but at least I'm alive. Let me talk to you. Young man, you think that your mother is the worst thing ever, but your daddy's not there. Can you at least give her some credit that you've never been hungry? Your water heater just went out in your house, and you're cursing right there looking, I can't believe we can't take a cold shower. At least you got a warm house. What if in the kingdom... We became mature Christians and stopped looking at how broken it was and started thinking about at least somebody had the heart to carry me. Because then when we get dropped, we won't blame the person. Sometimes we can blame the things that they stumbled on. I know I'm teaching today. Because the nurse's heart posture was right. The person that checked you in the hallway eight months ago, their heart posture was right. They didn't mean to drop you. They were trying to help you. What if we started to look at all help from elderly as just help? 
This person was trying to hurt me. Why do you think that? Look at your neighbor. Say the drop was unintentional. So in 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 4, we begin to see David like in his head, like I, there's somebody I've missed. When we manifest, we begin to pray on things and God will begin to drop things in people's hearts that don't even know us. And your name will be in their head. I don't know why, but when I go into the office tomorrow, I got to bless Edric. I don't know why. I don't even know. Like, like there are little, literally be names that they've never spoken before because what God wants to make sure that we understand is that you might have been dropped, but you're not crippled. There's somebody that's going to be coming to you in a minute, so you need to be ready when they come. I'm going to get there in a second. Is this good? Here we go. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 4. It says, one day, somebody say one day. David asked, underline this, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for whose sake? Jonathan's sake. Because David had relationship with Jonathan, anything that came out of Jonathan became David's responsibility. This is the reason why you cannot do church and not have community. If you are the only one that has been given permission to parent your children, we can't say that you're doing it right because we believe in community. If you're a parent, you need some other people that love you enough to be like, hey, I whooped your son yesterday. All right, one person clap. I'll talk to you online. We need to have some dads in here that don't just father their own boys. That when I see a young man starting to talk crazy to his, wife, to, to his mother, sorry, mom, who are you talking to? Well, I can't believe she X, Y, and Z. That is your mother. Well, you don't know what's going on. I don't have to know what's going on, little boy. That's your mom's. <laughs> That's what they say, little boy. Little boy, come over here. Because the more people that you have in your village, the less worried you have to be when they're not around you. We say it takes a village, but then we get frustrated when the person next door tries to correct something that we gave them permission to do. The drop was not intentional. You asked for help to raise these boys. That means that sometimes I'm going to have to lay these hands on them. If that's prayer or if that's balled up in some fists, do you want to bring men into the world or do you want to keep going down this road that's not working? Which one do you want? One day David asked, is there anybody else that I can bless? So then he summons a man named Ziba. Say Ziba. He's very important. Who had been one of Saul's servants? He says, are you Ziba? The king, the king asked. Ziba says, yes, I am. Then the king asked him, underline this, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet, not lame. Verse number four, he says, where is he? The king asked in Lodabar. Ziba told him at the home of Maker, son of Emil. This is my point number two. Point number two is that being crippled is a state, but being stuck is a choice. That's why they call it access, accessibility, not, disa- not being disabled. Because if you, if you are crippled with, 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 and you can't walk and your, your feet don't work, don't worry. We can make sure to give you some stuff to help you move. That's why you come to AWC. Your vision may be crippled, it may be broken, but we got everything you need to get that thing moving in the way that it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter how many words you get from a pastor or Yoda or Santa. Everybody loves Yoda and Star Wars, and everybody believes in Santa. Sorry if I just popped the bubble for your children. I really apologize. If you don't have faith in what God showed you, it cannot move. So having somebody that you think is more powerful than you are talking to your vision is not going to provide it what it needs to move forward. 
The word of God says that I gave you the vision. So how can I be given revelation for something that God revealed to you? Look at your neighbor say, being crippled is a state, but being stuck is a choice. The importance of consecration is that it turns on the GPS for what God showed you in vision to find you. We're moving into a season, y'all, where if I'm stuck, I'll speak for myself because, you know, people get little. If I'm not moving, it's my fault. If I am not advancing forward, if I haven't gotten over this hump of unforgiveness, if I haven't gotten over this hump of being reconciled, if I haven't gotten over this hump of actually doing what people told me to do, it's not that what they told me was incorrect. I just haven't reconciled unto myself to do what I was told. Because in our faith, the reason why we end up being stuck in the purple seat and where we are is because it's our decision not to move. Because we can be so broken here that it doesn't matter what type of knowledge flows from the word. It doesn't matter if I give you, if I give you crutches, if I give you a wheelchair, if I pick you up and carry you. If you don't want to walk, it doesn't matter. I'll be moving dead weight. How many of you guys have ever tried to pick somebody up, your child, like when they, when they don't want to go home? Like when you go to somebody's house and then you go downstairs, all right, guys, it's time to go. And they go, oh, everybody go to sleep. You ever try to pick up your child with dead weight? They are 120 pounds, right? But when they're dead weight, it feels like more. Because what we have to understand is that when you're trying to move something that you don't even believe in, it becomes dead weight. We bring life to our vision when we believe in it. We bring life to what God showed us when no matter what state it's in, no matter how it looks, no matter if it looks crippled, we come to it every day. Hey, we got to walk today. But I tried yesterday and it hurt. Come on, vision. We got to figure this out. But you, you know I'm lame. No, you're not lame. You're crippled. But we're going to walk today. What if we began to talk to our vision the way that the trainer talks to the person in the gym? I'm tired. That's too bad. We got to wake up. It's time to go. God told us on January 10th that we were going to be here. And he said that we were going to do that by waking up every morning. Get up. So if I'm lazy, that means my vision needs to be woken up. Somebody say, get up. Oh, they're here. I love it. So let's ask this question. Look at your neighbor and say, where is Lodabar? Because Mephibosheth is in a place called Lodabar. And one thing that we have to understand is that when we're reading the word of God, like the names of stuff are significant because usually at this point in time, you named something based off of what happened there or what wasn't happening. So if a place had no water, you would call it like no watereth. Like, like I'm just, it's, it's, it's an analogy. But let, let's break down this word Lodabar because not only is Mephibosheth not able to walk correctly, he's also in a low place. I'm going to get there. So let's, let's look at this word. Lodabar. Let's take the last part. Debar. Debar in the Greek normally means word or thing. The beginning of the word is low. And low is a prefix that is a negator. Thus the term Lodabar would mean that it is the place of no word. Lodabar in the Greek means that it is the place of no provision. Lodabar also means that it is no thing, nothing. Some of us have been in a place where we feel like we're nothing, but we know we can walk. Where I'm at, I know I don't want to be here. I know I can walk, but the name of where I'm at, the, the place where I'm at doesn't match who I am. That's why my point number three is that where you are and who you are, where you are and who you are are rarely connected. The place that you are in, even if you are succeeding, is not where God wants you to be because where you are is never where God is. 
God is always ahead of you, pulling you forward to this next place. So that means that if you're Mephibosheth in Lodabar, in a place where there, nothing is happening, it doesn't mean anything. In the chat, write it out. In the room, look at your neighbor say, where you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where your marriage is now because that's, God's not in it now. He's in the place where it's manifested as whole. If you're sick in your body, it doesn't matter. I'm in Lodabar. No, you're not. Your physical place is in Lodabar, but God calls your spirit to manifest in health. If you're failing a class right now, yeah, you're failing. That might be the truth of the matter, but the revelation of the matter is that your spirit is actually holding the degree. What if we began to learn how to imagine correctly? Do you remember imagination? Anybody remember playing that game? I tried playing with like little kids now, and they're like, what are we doing? Give me the Xbox. I'm like, man, what the heck? We used to imagine being doctors. We used to call it play pretend. Where physically, I don't have a degree, but at six years old, oh, I know how to do heart surgery. What you mean? Pass me that butter knife. Pass me that, that pizza slicer. Oh, we're going to do some surgery. Because as kids, we innately come from heaven with God's mind. I don't care what I see today. You see a couch, but this is going to be an operating table for the next five minutes. Mommy, you need to go watch your stories in the other room. But as we begin to learn, as we begin to grow up, we will begin to become crippled, not in our legs, but in what we see. So we'll start to look at the things around us. You'll start to look at the 600-foot uh, apartment and forget that when you were 13 that you were going to live in 7,000 square feet. So the question isn't about fixing your legs and giving you crutches for your legs, but how can we begin to fix what is crippled in your mind? Because where you are and who you are are never connected. I should have said never rather than rarely. Because I know that the place that I am in, if God's work is not finished, then I'm, he's not done yet. That's why you need to make very, very, very clear where you make your bed. Because if you make a bed in a place, if you begin to build a foundation in a place, you're telling your vision, this is where we're going to stay. So the fact that Mephibosheth is in Maker's house is that he's telling his vision. He's telling his legs, don't worry about ever walking because I'm going to build a house so you don't have to walk very much. Let's not build limitations for the vision that God gave us. The town's name is not complimentary. It means nothing town, the town where nothing works out. In English, it means in the middle of nowhere. It means no pasture. It means no communication. But we have to ask this question. Look at your neighbor. Say, who is Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul, who was the king. He's also the son of Jonathan, who if Saul would have lived, he would have been king. So what we have to understand is that Mephibosheth was always royalty. Even though Mephibosheth is in Lodabar, even though people forgot about who he was and never changed the blood that was on the inside of his body. Which means that some of the time, we, most of the time, we don't know how powerful we are because we believe the crippling thoughts that are in our heads. That is why when it comes to being a mature Christian, you cannot be a mature Christian without mental health. You cannot be a mature Christian and be schizophrenic in your head. I'm not talking about like the literal mental illness, but being able to stand in God's faith and then believing what you want to believe. You can't do it. Like you literally have to remember that the way and what I see around me, negate, it never negates the fact that I have royal blood that's running through my veins. So even if I do make my bed in hell, I'm still a king in this place. At the same time that God was preparing David for the throne, he had to have been preparing Phoebe for the table. That's what dad calls him, Phoebe, because my Phoebe chef is kind of hard. You see how I almost started right there? 
what if there is a correlation between David in the pasture doing his 1,000 his, his reps of using the slingshot? Do you think that there is a connection between David and Goliath and Mephibosheth and Lodabar? What if Mephibosheth's Goliath was his legs? What if the war that Mephibosheth had to fight in his pasture was getting over the thought of thinking that he couldn't walk? Because sometimes in our faith, we think that somebody's testimony is stronger than ours because it would be a better movie. But it takes the same energy for somebody to not watch pornography as it does for somebody not to put their hands on their wife. It's the same thing. We have both been given a measure of faith, which means that we've both been given a measure of something that we got to deal with. So instead of looking up Mephibosheth in this way of like, oh, my God, he was so weak. What if Mephibosheth, as he was in Maker's house, was actually practicing walking up and down the stairs? What if he was practicing going to the bakery? What if he was practicing walking and making foods to the point of where if I walk into this place, the only person that shouldn't be embarrassed about the way that I walk is me? Because if you are embarrassed about the vision that God gave you, no matter how it looks, it won't work. Because how you think about it matters. Somebody write that out. Like somebody write, write that out. The way that my vision thinks I think about it matters. Have you ever thought about that? The negative things, the negative things that you hear, the negative things that you read, the bad messages that your family told you about, it'll never work. Have you ever realized that none of those things, they, didn't, they weren't important? What mattered is that we stopped working. Look at your neighbor and say, never stop working. So at the same time that God is working on David, he's working on Mephibosheth. So it gets to the point where being in maker's house in my head is just like the pasture. We say that he's in a bad place, but I think that Mephibosheth had a different train of mind. Because in order for David to have come, Mephibosheth had to believe in his heart that he was already on his way. Here we go. Point number four. Second Sam, Samuel 9, 5 through 8. So it says, so David sent for him, sent for who? Mephibosheth, and brought him from Maker's house. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. Underline this. It says, when he came to David, he did what? He bowed low to the ground in deep respect. Because no matter how broken you think your vision is, God still deserves the glory. If you've not seen it move, if you haven't gotten any better, that has nothing to do with how we worship our king. Because we begin to think that worship is what we do as a transaction. Worship is what you do is because you have to. I don't worship God because I'm happy. I, I, I sing because I'm happy. No, I sing because I have to. We have been called to worship. Somebody say it. I have been called to worship. So David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. David says in his heart, what are you talking about? You're your servant. Because if I wasn't supposed to be king, you should be king because you're the next in line. It seems like from the time that he left Maker's house, from the time that Mephibosheth left Lodabar, that he forgot that he was a king. Because that's what the pit is supposed to be. That's what being down and out is supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be when you're in the middle of nowhere. What that place is supposed to do is to try to make sure that you become crippled in your mind so that you forget that you're just like God. The stuff that's happening to you, the, the furnace going out, if, 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 if your brakes go out, whatever is going on in your car or in your life, the reason why those things happen sometimes is because it's trying to make sure that you forget, don't forget, like worry about the car and don't remember that, that you're a child of the king. Worry about the sickness, forget that what comes out of your mouth will make you heal. But I serve a God that regardless of what happens around me, my mouth never stops closing because I keep reminding myself the God that I serve, the God that I serve, that's the God that I serve. 
That should be enough. The God that I serve is the God that I serve, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. So listen to this verse number seven. It says, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to do what? Show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. When you begin to look at your vision correctly, you will begin to receive help in places that you didn't sow. Mephibosheth starts to receive provision for a vision that he didn't know that this person was going to help him with. There are some people that have the check with your name on it. They're just waiting for you to look at the vision as something worth investing in. Nobody wants to invest in my vision. You don't even want to invest in your vision. I don't know if you know how business works. It's how business works. You're more likely to get money in a business where you've actually put in the time and the effort, even if it's failed. Because the bank will ask you questions like this. A lender will ask you questions like this. An entrepreneur will ask you questions like this. How much time have you put in? How much money have you lost? That's why if you want to make, if you, if you want to get the deal on Shark Tank, it's not necessarily about having a great product. How much have you lost? Have you ever realized that Kevin and Damon always ask the same question? How much have you invested? You're asking me for a million, but how much have you put in? Well, I put in two million. Because write this down. What you invest in your vision shows its worth. So if you've been sitting on this vision for six and seven years and nothing's happened, instead of seeing it as time wasted, why don't you look at it as time invested? Because God is looking at the heart posture of the seven years. I told you it was going to happen. So did you use those seven years complaining and telling people of how terrible of a God I was? Or in those seven years, did you wake up and look at the vision and say, one day you're going to walk. 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 That's why I believe that when children are born with disabilities, they're born to the right parents. Because those parents don't see them in their physical state. They see them in the manifestation of like, you're going to walk today. But I didn't walk the last four years. That really doesn't matter to me. God gave me you, baby, because I see you walking. I've never seen you crippled. There are some people that God is going to manifest in your life that don't see your vision as crippled. Like, I, don't, I only see it walking. But it's broken. I don't, I don't see that. Why do we do our best to show somebody something broken that they only see as manifested as whole? That's why if you have a broken marriage, you need to be coming to AWC, linking up with a family that doesn't see your relationship as broken but sees it whole. I can't stand her. You can't say that. You, you, you can't say that, young man. Man, you old. You don't know what I'm talking about. Exactly. I'm old enough to tell you that I've been married longer than you've been alive. Listen to what I got to say. Because if your vision is crippled, you will see it as crippled. You can see it as crippled. That's why we need people that have seen things that were lame begin walking. Because then I can say, it might look broken to you, but I got some stuff in my life. If you saw it seven years ago, you would think it was crippled too. <laughs> but I had the faith to walk with it every single day. I know this is good. I know this is good. Verse number seven, it says, I will give you what? All the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will eat here with me at what? The king's, the king's table. Where is he going to eat? At the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, listen to how quickly you can drop your own vision. Remember, Mephibosheth is crippled. He's not lame, which means that at some point in time he tried to walk. 
But listen how quickly you can be in the room of the manifestation. You can be in the elevator and the opportunity comes and somebody asks you. You can literally be at dinner and your wife that God wants for you is across the table and you miss the moment. You could be walking down the street and something tells you to go into scooters and get a peanut butter power. But you say, no, God, I want a juice stop. And God says, go into the store, boy. Because you don't know who's sitting at the counter who is asking, like, if you, I want you to pay for their coffee. And when you pay for their coffee, they're going to hand you a card. And they're going to ask you to call them on Monday. And then you're going to end up in their office. That's my testimony. To turn left when I wanted to turn right. But because I didn't allow my crippled vision and mind to begin to steer me, I followed the voice of God. I followed the voice of God. Because it's how you see it. That matters. Write that down. It's how you see it that matters. What God showed you in January, don't get into February looking at it crazy. No, see it the way that God said it, not the way that you see it. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, he, this quick, this quick, this quick. He has been taken from Lodabar. A chariot, let's assume, a chariot comes and picks him up, picks him up and brings him to the palace. He's surrounded by gold, but still forgets that he's a king. He says, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a what? Dead dog like me. The legs that were broken when he was dropped ended up being the delivery service to the throne room. The legs that people called cursed, the legs that people said he would never be able to walk with, ended up being the legs that he used to carry him into the manifestation that God wanted for him. What if when you looked at your vision, the only reason why you thought it was crippled is because you thought it was crippled? That's like when God gives you a vision and you start trying to add stuff to it because you think it's incomplete. You want to know what the incomplete is in our heads? Anybody want to know? Raise your hand. Incomplete is when God tells you to do something and we start to worry about the who, the what, the when, the why, the how, the where. And God's just like, stop worrying about those things because now what you're trying to tell it is something that I didn't tell it. Do you remember the first time that you had to remind, how many of you guys have a fearless child? You remember the first time that your child experienced fear? If you have a fearless child and now your child experiences fear, as a good parent, you should be like, wait a minute, you're not afraid of anything, what's going on? Your, your vision is only afraid of what you give it exposure to. Let, 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 let me move on from that one. Mephibosheth received the honor his father should have received, and David would have eventually made it to Lodabar. Remember what we talked about earlier, that David was on a mission to do what? To bless everybody that came out of Saul's house. That was his one. He said, I'm going to literally bless every single person that comes out of Saul's house. But sometimes, can, can, can I show you guys an illustration? Yeah. Remember, he's in a place where he can't walk. Right? Mephibosheth has trouble walking. So they go and get Mephibosheth out of Lodabar. And because he doesn't have the ability to walk, David tells, him, he tells some guys, go and get him. Somebody say fetch. That's what older people say. Go fetch me something. My granny says, retch around and reach. Like, retch in my pocket and, and, or retch in my purse. Anyway. So Mephibosheth starts to be pushed into the throne room. He's been in Lodabar. He knows that his legs can work. He hasn't necessarily tried it to. But then they start to turn a corner, and the person that brings Mephibosheth into the throne room, I think I see it like this. Mephibosheth said, stop, because I can walk. Look at your neighbor and say, I can do it. I can take it from here. 
And in my heart, this is what I believe it looked like spiritually. Mephibosheth says that while I was a maker, y'all were feeling bad about me, but I was walking. Y'all might not have seen me walk, but your boy can walk. You might see my vision as crippled, but I can walk. You might see this family is not working out, but this family is already making it. You might see that my finances aren't working. You might be looking at this wheelchair, but don't forget that the God that gave me my name also gave me two legs that are going to take me to where I'm going to go. I don't know who this is for, but I believe that somebody spiritually, the chains are breaking off of your crippled thinking, and now you're going to be able to walk into something that you didn't think you were able to before. So Mephibosheth, I think when they pushed him into the throne room, I think that he was cool. He's like, wait until they see what's about to happen. These jokers think I can't walk. These jokers have been talking about me for years. These jokers forgot about me after my daddy died. Because sometimes it can feel like what God shared with you, people got excited with you when he told you. But then when you actually start working, they're gone. Hey, bro, buy my product. But will you bring the price down? You were with me when God said to sell the t-shirts at $25. Why are you trying to get them out of me for 10? And this is what I think happened. And I think that this is what's happening with some of us with your vision. You think that it's broken. You think that it can't work. You think that it's crippled. But I think that Mephibosheth got to this point where he was like, don't help me. I'm good. I got this. Because where I'm going, I got everything that I need. I think Mephibosheth got up when David asked him. And he got up out of the chair. And it didn't matter how broken it looked. Because he wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed with what God showed him. I think that we're going to walk into a place where the people of God are no longer embarrassed about the vision that God gave them and we're not going to hide it. We're going to let people see it. So listen to this. Point number five. Somebody say, if you trust them, they will carry you. 2 Samuel 9, 9 through 13. It says, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And this, listen to what King David says. King David says that you, he points to Ziba, the servant. He says, you and your sons and servants are to do what? Farm the land for him. So Mephibosheth's ability to walk never meant anything because he was never going to have to use them where God was sending him. Maybe the thing that you think is broken is unnecessary where God has taken you. Want me to prove it to you? Moses said, God, I I stutter. I don't care about how you can talk. I'm going to split the Red Sea, and that's going to change their mind. Ruth went to Naomi and said, I don't have any clothes. She said, it don't matter what type of clothes you have. Once I put you at the feet of that man's bed, it's a wrap. You already married. What if God wasn't really interested in what you thought was broken? He was more interested, can you see yourself in the place where I'm taking you? But God, I'm crippled. I never, I don't care. I made you perfectly the way that you are. Why don't you remember what I told you? Instead of trying to figure out how, what, who, and where. You and your sons are servants. I'm sorry. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But listen to this. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson will eat where? Here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Listen to this. And this is the close. It says that Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate when? Regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons, which means that Mephibosheth went from Lodabar being a place of nothing to being at this table where they delegate what they were going to do with the kingdom's money. We get this messed up thinking that Mephibosheth was just sitting at a table just to eat dinner every day. 
No, what we have to understand is that when Mephibosheth sat at the table, he was restored to a place physically that he was always in in his mind. He was always king in his mind. Just because he was in Lodabar, just because he was crippled, didn't mean that he wasn't the son of a king. So that's why you need to write this down. You, when you get to the table, we have to act like we've been there. The reason why Mephibosheth was able to walk into the throne room and talk to King David like however, is because in his head he never left. When God gives you a vision for your health, you live in the manifestation of the health, not in where you are, where you are. That's why we're going to get to a point, Ms. Yvonne, where people start receiving healing and people start praising around them crazy and they're going to look at them like, I've been here. I've been cancer-free in my head for seven years. Like, I've been here. When people say, oh, my God, you and your husband made it. No, we've been living in the manifestation because even if we were fighting in the house, in our heads and in our hearts, we were together. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, isn't the Bible trifles a lot? The Bible wanted to remind us, remember the man that we talked about that was crippled? Now that he's sitting at the, at, at, the, at, the, at the table of the king, now he has been taken from a place of lowness and Lodabar to being manifested and having restoration power. So now Mephibosheth has power to do with what he wants to. But listen to this. Some of you that are watching today, you're like, my, my, my vision is not crippled. My, visual, my, my vision has no legs. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. But I want to share with you this last point. And the last point is this, is that crawling is still moving forward. Crawling is still moving forward. Here at AWC, that person that is, has been struggling with their addiction and been in our church for 25 years, I see that as progress because you could have went and done something else. But you decided to keep crawling in whatever's going on. What if we started to look at the mental health of people as our prerogative? That when somebody's having a mental breakdown, we don't deal with them at the level of, of, of what they're going through. We deal with them at the level of where their heart is. This person's having a manic moment, which means that they are not in their right mind. Love their heart and not what they're saying. You do it with children all the time. It's called a temper tantrum. What if we started to teach and love on people that were mentally ill in the way that God created them, not in what we're seeing with our eyes? Look at your neighbor and say, crawling is still moving forward. Crawling is still moving forward. Crawling is still moving forward. If you've been addicted to something and you had one day of sobriety, I, you, we have to celebrate that. Why can't we look at the manifestation of your healing in the one day that you didn't do what you asked God to deliver you from? Somebody scream it. Crawling is still moving forward. You want to know how I know? Because in order for Mephibosheth to learn how to walk, he had to fall. Before he was able to be in the wheelchair, before he was able to use the crutches, we have to assume that at some point he had to like literally like try to like figure it out. And you want to know what this looks like spiritually? You're in 21 days of consecrating and fasting. Like, God, I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's not my decision. What I know is that if I pray and fast on what you showed me, at some point these legs are going to walk. But until these legs start to walk, I'm going to crawl. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to figure it out. Because what we have to understand is that we have to begin to promote a message of progression and not perfection. Pro progression. Is it getting better? Well, it's not what God showed me. If it's getting better, that means that the plan is working. What if we started to look at people gradually moving forward as progression? 
Oh, you still on drugs? But hey, they had two days of sobriety. Can we like, they woke up on time and came to church. Like, can, can we get that right? You've been going to work for the last six days on time. He's doing a trash job at work, but at least he got there. Can we, can we begin to start promoting the progression of people's lives? Because every single person in this room that's watching online in the AWC nation, you weren't perfect. You, be, you had to have a story of progression. If you told somebody your real testimony, look at your neighbor, say the real testimony. Look at your other neighbor, say the one that you're embarrassed to tell the whole piece of. That one, that one, that one. You said that y'all dated and you left him, but you didn't say that in that six month time, you went back to dude's house every weekend. The whole testimony will begin to promote this thing of like, it doesn't matter if you're crawling. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're standing still sometimes. But if your heart posture is that, God, what you showed me, I'm not going to allow it to be crippled, but I'm going to keep moving forward. So what does it mean to crawl? Write this down. What does it mean to crawl? Crawl means see, craft. Crawling is crafting the narrative in your head that you're not crippled. Doesn't matter what you see when you look down. Doesn't matter what you see when you look at your bank account. Doesn't matter what you see when you look at your relationships. Doesn't matter what you see when you look at your children, at your marriage, at your job, at your mental health, at your spiritual health. Doesn't matter what you see. What if we began to use our vision with our eyes closed and begin to craft the narrative on the inside of our heads? What if Mephibosheth was crafting it? Like when I get into that throne room, I'm gonna walk. What if he made up in his mind before he started to move his feet? R means to refrain, refrain from feeling sorry for yourself. What happens in the Christian church is that God, we don't see what God is doing and we start to feel bad for ourselves and people become stagnant in the church. What if we started to create an environment where somebody started to feel bad for the vision that wasn't working and we started to help them walk? Hey, I know that you are having a tough time believing God, but in this consecration, the next 10 days, why don't you walk with me? You have faith for my vision, I'll have faith for yours. But one thing we're not gonna do is feel sorry for ourselves. Mom, the worst thing that you could do right now is feel sorry for yourself raising those kids because he left. You are there for a meaningful purpose. I believe there are people that are watching right now that even in, even in this time of COVID, you're an advocate trying to help people like go through a pandemic and get off of drugs. Go through a pandemic and cancel their marriage. Go through a pandemic and get their families together. But in your house, there's stuff happening. You cannot feel sorry for yourself. Do not feel, no, I'm sorry. Do not lose your, uh, do not lose your faith in well-doing, but keep moving forward. Look at yourself, say, refrain from feeling sorry for yourself because God doesn't feel sorry for you. That's why he gave you the vision. God loves you so much that he gave you something that is so weighty. The person that's watching, he gave you something that is so weighty because God giving somebody the vision of walking that wasn't Mephibosheth, they would have never walked, but he gave it to Mephibosheth because he knew that he wanted to. Another story for another day. Uh, 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 crawl, C-R. A means to assume your place at the table. When you get the email, when you get the text, when you get the call, act like you've been there before. You wanna know how you can act like you've been there before? Because you created the narrative that I've always been here in my head. I've always, I've always been here. This sermon that I'm teaching right now, I don't teach for what people say because I've already taught the sermon in my spirit. So it doesn't matter what I do. If I bomb, if it fails, if nobody claps, if nobody says anything, that's not my win because in my head, I've already crafted the win. That if I can muster up the faith to get up and study this word and get up here and teach it, then I'm already there. 
What if every time you drove past the house, every time that you like were in the car, every time that you saw him, don't tell him yet because you'll freak him out, sis. That's my husband. I, I know it. Don't be weird. But what if we began to manifest what we wanted and just assume that it's already ours? You go from, I would love to live there one day to like, oh yeah, I'm already there. Where? Right here. So that when I sign the check, this is all I'm gonna have to do. We're here, baby. We've been here, but we've been here. Crawl, C-R-A-W. Somebody say walk. Craft, refrain, assume. And at some point you're gonna have to walk it out. We're gonna have to talk maybe in one of these sermons on God gave you a vision, but you cannot manifest without doing some work. At some point in time, Mephibosheth, you're gonna have to get out of your chair and try to walk. That's why we want you to walk in relationships so that when you fall, the people that love you corralled around you. Because in real relationship, the only people that see you fall are the people that are close enough to you. That's why we're gonna, I'm gonna start looking at relationship based off of how the people that say that they love you cover you, not on how you fell. Real relationship, real community, is how do you cover me when I fall? We talked about this before we got into relationship. I told you these are my vices. I told you sometimes I drink a little bit. I told you sometimes I smoke a little bit. I told you sometimes that I curse sometimes. So if you're in relationship, you know that this is a place in my life where I'm crippled. Are you going to expose me? Or are you going to walk with me and help me get better? Somebody say get better. Somebody say walk it out. The vision that God gave you in January 10th. We're walking into the second week of, 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 of this consecration. Start giving it legs. Start giving it legs. You're looking for healing in your body. How about every time before you take your medicine, you begin to recite something from the word of God, speaking in tongues and then taking the medicine. What if your response to the sickness wasn't the pill, but it was what God said to you? God, you said, I'm gonna be healed. So I'm gonna take what I need to take for my body, but I'm healed because of what you said, not because I'm just following the instructions. I'm just following the instructions, but you want this for me. The last one, somebody say L. Crawl, craft, refrain, assume, walk, and then this is it. Let them see it broken. Let, them, let, let the people see your legs broken. Because what that does is it speaks to the glory to, of, of, of God. This is the reason why we did small groups. People think that we did small groups because we were trying to figure out something to do on Wednesday nights. The reason why we ended up doing small groups is because the leaders and why some of you need to become leaders again is because your testimony spoke louder when they were in your space. It's something for me to tell you that me and my wife are perfect. It's another thing for me to tell you that we were in a place of hell and it wasn't working and then you come into our house and, have, and you feel peace. You know what that does? That begins to show somebody that my testimony is real because when you walked into our space, the proof of us working it out is that you get sleepy when you come to my house. People come to our crib and get sleepy because we have manifested a place of peace. When you let them see you broken, Mephibosheth is able to sit at the table with the king and allow people to see his legs broken and tell them the story of how he got here. Man, you're a king. Yeah, but I wouldn't have got here without these crippled legs. but you can't walk. Let me tell you the story. What if the area in your life, the area in our lives that we thought was crippled was actually a mirror to show people the God on the inside of them?